0: Last month, the Senate Committee on Environment and Public Works held a hearing on examining the implications of Sackett versus the Environmental Protection Agency for Clean Water Act protections of wetlands and streams. Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota is on that committee and was at the hearing, and in fact asked several questions of the witnesses. I talked with Senator Kramer shortly after that about the hearing and about WOTUS in general. This was just before the House selected a new speaker, and Senator Kramer and I also discussed the delays in the House and what that could mean for the new farm bill. I'm Sabrina Halverson, and this is the Agnet Weekly. Here is my discussion with Senator Kevin Kramer. I wanted to talk about uh, the hearing that was held on the waters of the U.S. and, uh, you know, just this ongoing saga of the waters of the U.S. Yeah. What were your initial (sighs) thoughts on the hearing and what was said
1: Sure. Well, first of all, the, the hearing was set up, um, by by the majority to consider the ramifications of the of the Sackett versus EPA decision, which implies by its very title, um, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do now that the Supreme Court has clarified what the waters of the United States is for us as opposed to thank God the Supreme Court clarified what the waters of the United States is for us. And and it was clearly slanted toward the the um you know the environmental p- position um and, and whereas Sackett versus EPA really was less about the environmental or the pragmatic outcomes and more about the constitution and the law itself and um and so in in some respects like is often the case in washington i felt like you had two sides sort of talking past each other N- neither one of them necessarily wrong except that the epa made a decision uh, th- their their job is to to make decisions based on whether this is this fits the in this case The uh, Clean Water Act and the Constitution, not whether or not, not not how much this will either enhance or degrade, you know, the waters, the prairie potholes, for example. Mm
0: -hmm. And one of the problems from the beginning, uh, years for years, um, has been a lack of clarity with this regulation. Um, Has anything been cleared up at this point?
1: Well, I actually think in, in this particular case where where in the socket case where the epa or where the in the socket case where the supreme court um ruled they clarified a lot up until this point the court has been reluctant to clarify into definitions and prescribe solutions because of course it's not really their job their job is to make a determination whether the law that was passed um or the rule that is that is um codified meets the constitutional and and um and then the intent of Congress, in this case again, the Clean Water Act. Um, previous courts have tried, to some degree. And one of the things that's at issue here, of course, is the Kennedy Kennedy um, consent, where he where he wrote that um, there's a, a federal nexus has to be considered. Well, federal nexus is a very um, flexible term, shall we say, a very undefined term. Um, in previous cases, in Rapanos, for example, um, Antonin Scalia defined a, a navigable water, um, you know, a certain way with a little more, rest- a little more defined. And and it's because the courts reluctant to define for the, for the um, agencies and for the, the um, legislative branch. That there's been this regulatory ping-pong that would go back and forth, back and forth. While well, while well, this latest case, the Sacaj case, the court did put further definition into what's a water of the United States, remembering that going all the way back to the Clean Water Act in its in its you know genesis. Um, waters of the United States was based on the term navigable, navigable being, you know, a, a river that moves up, can you, where you can navigate or move a product from market to market, from state to state, thus interstate commerce. Since that time, the Clean Water Act has come to mean waters that can run into a navigable water. So, you know, a, a persistent stream or river or a lake, um, but not, not a, a you know, Ephemeral one or you know an occasional one or seasonal waters, things like that, and that's where the definition got cloudy. well, Alito made it really clear it seemed to most people, but there was just enough lack of clarity I guess in the minds of the agencies that they thought they could sort of stick with this um, you know uh, occasional stream uh, seasonal rivers um, that that you know, contains some continuous flow during certain times could continue to be considered navigable or waters of the United States, and and so in the new rule, in my view, they violated already, um, you know, the Alito decision and the Alito uh, interpretation of what's uh, what's the waters of the United States, and I tried to point that out as you notice in the hearing rather rather specifically.
0: So to give an example of a of seasonal water would be an example like uh, during a rainy season when right. something fills up with water and then a, a little stream is formed, but in other times it's dry, right?
1: That's exactly right. So, so that, Exactly right. There's, there are ephemeral streams and then there are these seasonal streams, you know, ephemeral being the ones that run above ground for a while and then they might be underground. They might go into an aquifer and that aquifer might eventually, you know, bleed into some some other stream. Um seasonal is, is the, is that exactly what you just described. The the kind of feature that in a rainy season or maybe even in in the month of May um might provide a stream to an to to a um you know standing continuous flow uh of some sort, but it may not. And but the court and this is where we're, where we are right now in this discussion about what's a seasonal Stream and what what kind of a geographical feature that's described um, or that this might create that okay, creates occasional water. The court really did define that as well because in his in his um, opinion or in his his order, Alito referred to these standing or continuously flowing bodies of water forming these geographical features then he said described in ordinary parlance as quote, streams oceans rivers and lakes in other words he wasn't vague he was when you use terms like rivers and lakes and oceans streams those are those are things in ordinary parlance as as the court puts it that we can all understand, we can all see them, we can picture them in our, in our brain, and that doesn't leave a lot of room for the imagination, and yet the EPA continues to use their imagination to make even more areas um, subject to waters of the United States, when in fact there should be very few that are subject to waters of the United States. Right.
0: And you have kind of a unique perspective just as far as regulations go, because you were a state regulator right right and so for our, right. our listeners uh, most of whom are not in north dakota can you just tell us a little bit sure. about that background S-
1: sure so h- as a member of the north dakota public service commission and and chairman of the commission uh for a few for a few years we we cited a lot of infrastructure right so pipelines um transmission lines wind farms and a lot of those those that infrastructure was in and around wetland areas North Dakota being the heart of the, certainly the northern reaches of the um, of the central flyway, the the um, Kato's and prairies, um, you know the prairie pothole region, and so we're very familiar with permanent water. And temporary water, and we're very familiar with things like like the EPA's definition of waters in the United States, or the, for that matter, USD's you know definition of a of, of a wetland, or for that matter, the Fish and Wildlife Service you know definition of a waterfall production area, for example. There are all of these these waters that mean something, but they're not all permanent. And over the years and and, and decades the environmental movement has sought to make everything jurisdictional to the federal government. I've always resisted that for a couple of reasons. First of all, I've never met a farmer yet that thought it was a good idea to not manage their land well and, 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 and make it sustainable. I've also never met a state that wants to degrade its water supply or its its waterways. And so, so to, to put everything under federal jurisdiction ignores... Federalism, and it ignores the you know the, the fact that not being federally protected doesn 't mean it 's not protected um, so uh, as a state regulator, I always resented the federal government imposing its mediocrity on our state 's excellence and and that 's where I think a lot of this comes down to that there are a lot of well intentioned people, and there were in fact at this particular hearing that care a great deal about about clean and safe water, they just are i think misguided by. Whose job it is to regulate it, and I think most of the time it's either the landowners or the state's job to regulate, not the federal government's. And frankly, that you know at the local level they'll do it a lot better. Yeah,
0: and that was something I wanted to ask you, uh, and you basically have answered it: is is who should govern over this? And you talked about federalism, and uh, you know, um, and that kind of leads also into another point that I wanted to talk about: national mm-hmm. permits versus individual permits. Yeah. Can you, first off, can you explain the difference for my listeners, yeah. and which, which way should we go, yeah. and, and do they work to, you know, is there, is there a way to make this work?
1: Yeah, actually, a great question, because, again, I think a lot of times we people get confused by, oh my gosh, if the federal government doesn't permit that, or if the federal government isn't regulating that, nobody's taking care of it. The reality is that federalism isn't a one or the other. I like to refer to um, cooperative federalism. In other words, there's a partnership here between the federal government and the state jurisdictions. And to, to some degree, when you talk about a national permit, that includes um, townships and counties and municipalities as well. So a national permit, there's actually a thing called the national permit. A national permit applies largely to interstate linear types of infrastructure, such as an electric transmission line that maybe runs from a power plant in the center, center of North Dakota, or a wind farm, you know, in the prairies of South Dakota, and runs across multiple states. Um, and and it, might be a, or it might be a natural gas pipeline, or an oil pipeline, or a water pipeline, or it might be an interstate highway that runs across multiple states. In that case, there is a there is a process for a national permit from the U.S. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers that that governs the entire the entire infrastructure, rather than going state by state and jurisdiction by jurisdiction and and federal nexus by federal nexus. It's hard to have a long interstate linear infrastructure that doesn't have some federal nexus because somewhere along the line it's going to cross a wa- a, a waterway or federal land or you know some other protected area in which case it's just a lot more efficient for the applicant to get one national permit rather than to get a whole bunch of of either national federal permits and or state and local permits so there is a place for a national permit there's it it, it creates it creates what I call regulatory um, um, efficiency it also recognizes interstate commerce and and it's um just a whole lot easier for an applicant because we still need all of this infrastructure to have a growing economy to get our products to market um you know and to recognize again the, the, one of the very few things that the federal government is actually um you know authorized to do as per our constitution that's govern interstate commerce
0: so where do we go from here? And that's kind of always the the question Mm -hmm. that I ask whenever I do an interview on, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the waters of the U S or the clean water act is where do we go from here? What, what, and, and what are you hopeful for?
1: Yeah. So a couple of things, Uh, first of all, the, 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 um, the Sackett decision was so clear in my mind that, obviously this newest interpretation, this newest effort at a new waters of the United States rulemaking will be litigated again and in my view will be um over, overturned again. And if necessary, the court will either even further define what in fact a navigable or a waters of the United States is. And I I, I don't know how you make it much clearer, but they can probably make it even a little bit clearer. Um the other thing and the really the more appropriate thing would be for congress itself to write a more prescriptive law and to amend the clean water act or or to pass some sort of uh, addendum that that further defines uh, waters of the united states in a way that recognizes the limits put on by the court and by the constitution um but also makes sure that um you know that water is protected as 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 necessary and that That would be probably more sustainable, more durable than a court uh, you know definition, but it shouldn 't need to be it shouldn 't need to be, but clearly we, it will be it 'll also be very difficult for Congress to do that because, as you might have noticed, we are a very narrowly divided Congress and because we 're a very narrowly divided um, country and uh, and yet I think we all benefit from a little bit of certainty um, so who knows? We'll see if we can't take another whack at it um, in Congress. But I'm almost certain that the court will get another shot at it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're probably right about
0: that. Um, can we switch gears for a minute? Sure. I want to get your take on on the farm bill. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you're in the Senate, not not the House. But with all of the <laughs> everything going on in the House and mm-hmm. the search for a speaker, um, obviously, there's going to be more delays for everything, and that does include the farm bill. What do you see happening with the farm bill, and do you think that um, is there any hope of getting a farm bill this year? And if not, what should happen?
1: I think it's getting more and more unlikely that there would be a farm bill done yet this year. It's not impossible. There's still enough time on the clock to do it. There's some political will to do it, but as you point out, the dysfunction in the House makes it literally impossible for them to deal with it because they can't even have, you know, Significant committee meetings and, and certainly can't conduct any committee business in terms of a markup or anything like that. That said, um, you know one of the the ideas that has floated around for a long time, but Senator Bozeman, um, the ranking Republican on the Senate Agriculture Committee, has suggested a one-year farm bill extension. Um, And that's probably appropriate in this case, because one of the things we don't like to do, there's a time for deadlines and cliffs, and and there's a motivating factor to all of that. But farm bills have generally been pretty, um, you know, amicably debated, if you will there's a as you know, there's a lot of mandatory spending in farm bills there are a lot of mandatory programs in farm bills, and there's even a little bit of a check and balance in terms of how the you know permanent law kicks in if a new law is not passed, so there are plenty of incentives for us to get our work done, but another year might might be um useful in putting things putting some of these things together and putting them on paper while we wait for the House to get its act together. Um, largely because the farm, the current farm bill, or really the last five-year farm bill, is still pretty good law, and I don't, I think agriculture, by and large, and the, and more importantly, uh, the, the extension of agriculture being the banker, <laughs> um, can live pretty well with an extension of the current farm bill, um, and certainly much better than if than a than one that. Actually, runs out of money and runs out of authorities, which happens. I don't mean to get super wonky and all this, but but the farm bill is built in a way that, to, as you know, to to you know run for five years and then you know either be changed or extended. Um, but but there are parts of the farm bill that run calendar year, so they run January through December, and and parts of the farm bill that run during the fiscal year, and so we we have some of that. We have some of that overlap right going on right now with our continuing resolution. There's quite a bit of money in the in the um, system, and so farmers aren't really feeling an immediate pinch. But as you prepare for next year's crop, your banker and your insurance company they they all want to know what the rules of the game are going to be, and I, that's why I think a, a one-year extension would provide that certainty. If, over the course of the next, you know, 10 to 12 months, while we could work on a farm bill that wouldn't require all 10 or 12 of those months, perhaps, but at least there would be that certainty so that the business of agriculture could move forward.
0: Yeah, Yeah, which is uh, probably easing, you know, eases the minds of of those in the ag industry around the nation
1: for sure yeah, yeah. And, and and the sooner we do that in my view that the more breathing room we get and the more breathing room that those that are planting, as you know just because you might plant in the spring depending on what you know spring comes depending on you know dif- for different people in different parts of the country but um we're, we're to that point where the planning is well underway even as harvest you know the last things are being harvested right now in the great plains um those things are being determined right now and those discussions are taking place between farmers and and bankers. And as you know, we have the additional um, inflationary costs of inputs and we have higher interest rates. And so uh, all the more reason for certainty and and early planning to take place. So we need to provide, I think, that breathing room.
0: Yeah. Um, Anything else that you'd like to comment on? Those were all of the questions that I had for you.
1: No, but I've never been so glad that I decided to run for the Senate and not stay in the House. <laughs> <laughs> can I you know, use I was, that? <laughs> I was uncertain for a while. <laughs> sure, you, you can if you like.
0: Thank you once again to Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota. This is the Agnet Weekly. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thank you for tuning in.